Hi, I'm Tom Green. I started doing stand-up comedy on amateur night at Yuck Yucks, and it got me to where I am today, here doing a commercial for Yuck Yucks. Do you think you're the next Russell Peters? Why not find out by performing on our amateur night? Visit yuckyucks.com for information on how to sign up. Amateur night is only available at participating Yuck Yucks clubs. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Be sure to visit us at www.yuckyucks.com. Twitter. Twitter. And follow us on Twitter using hashtag YYCP. You're listening to the Yuck Yucks Comedy. I don't think so. What? Welcome to the Yuck Yucks Comedy Podcast. Yuck Yucks Comedy Podcast. With your host, Jake Hirsch. What's going on, my little yucca maniacs? This is your host, Jake Hirsch. Thank you for joining me. Episode number three of the Yuck Yucks Comedy Podcast. I want to say a very big special thank you to Mr. Ronald Funches, our guest last week. Unbelievable guy. And like I said, the interview was amazing. And uh, you just you, you couldn't talk to a nicer guy. We keep lining them up. And we keep knocking them down. The interviews on the show, I this is some of the best caliber interviews I've done in a very, very long time. Uh, and they don't stop here. Today's show is uh, one I <laughs> I was planning on talking to everybody about. A little, uh, little intro before the show. Uh, this was probably one of the wildest interviews I've ever done. Uh, I got to go hang out with Sam Tripoli. That's today's guest, by the way. Sam Tripoli. Yes, you've seen him on the wild world of Spike, uh, Monsters of Comedy, Rockstars of Comedy, uh, Joe Rogan Experience. I mean, this guy has done done it all. Uh, very, very well known. And uh, hey, the, the, it, it was just such an amazing opportunity for me to go and hang out with this guy for the afternoon. Uh, went to his hotel room. We hung out. We uh, we chatted sports. We chatted podcasting. We talked about uh, everybody. Uh, L.A. entertainment business, comedy, clubs, everything. Man, it was. Uh, we talked about Calgary, which was great too. Sam is a huge fan of Calgary. That's where he's performing uh, at the Calgary Yuck Yucks Club. And hey, a big shout out to Angie and to Scott and to everybody uh, down at Yuck Yucks uh, Calgary. I know I'm being biased here because there's just so many wonderful Yuck Yucks clubs across Canada. But I live, uh, obviously, the closest one being Calgary. And I've gotten to know some of the staff there and, of course, uh, uh, the owner and uh, just amazing people. Always treating me exceptionally well, very hospitable, and uh, they continuously bring just amazing talent uh, to the club. So uh, go down and check them out at the Elbow River Casino. And again, big shout out to the staff down there. Uh, Yes, I I hung out with Sam, uh, and it it was just amazing. Uh, Amazing guy. He's got so much energy. He's so passionate about what he talks about. And he's not afraid to speak his mind. And in this interview, you're going to hear that. You're going to hear him <laughs> speak his mind and 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 just go with it, man. It was great. It was a great, great interview. And I cannot thank Mr. Sam Tripoli enough. Uh, go go check him out whenever you have a chance. Go check out all of the uh, amazing performers that graces the stages of Yuck Yucks right across the country. Uh, again, some of the guests that, uh, that, that we're profiling here, obviously, are of the Yuck Yucks family. So that should tell you the caliber of... Of the people that are, you know, touring around and, and checking out some of the clubs, unbelievable talent. Uh, big show, obviously, with Sam. Um, we went as long as we could. I could have gone a lot longer. Uh, we talked about his time in Iraq uh, or Afghanistan, uh, him going over there and doing a USO tour. And you know what? That to me is uh, a huge, uh, huge thing. I, I, just a, a lot of respect. Uh, not only just the Sam, but obviously all the entertainers that go across these. Uh, we have a, a, a ton of comics here in Canada that do that for the Canadian Armed Forces. And uh, I come from a very, very long, long line of uh, military people uh, in my family, the Marine Corps, the Army, uh, the Navy. Uh, you know, every Air Force, I think I have a family that was in the Air Force as well. So, yeah, 
you know, all the branches of the military and, of course, you know, Canadian military. Uh, you know, they're over there. They're putting themselves in danger. They're putting, uh, you know, their lives on the line for us. And, uh, you know, we should always support the troops. And Sam Tripoli is one of those guys that did that. Uh, so a lot of respect to Sam. Uh, we enjoy talking about it, though. Uh, that story, it, it's, yeah, pretty pretty wild, pretty crazy. Uh, I usually don't give a lot of caveats at the beginning of the show, but I will uh, do it this one. If you have kids in the car with you, uh, probably a good time to put on earmuffs uh, for this interview because uh, Sam and I, we go out and we uh, we take care of business. This is a great interview. Stay tuned. Uh, stick around. Hey, be sure to go visit yuckyucks.com. I want all the yuckamaniacs out there to uh, to throw some tweets our way. And, of course, you can tweet me at Jake Hirsch EG on Twitter. And uh, don't be afraid to put that hashtag YYCP. That way we know you're talking about Yuck Yucks Comedy Podcast. And I will always be forwarding names and, uh, and, and giving you guys really good people to follow on Twitter. Some of the crew here at Yuck Yucks as well, they're all on Twitter. And, of course, go follow the local club uh, that's closest to you. If you're on a vacation... Go check out the locus. Uh, sorry, the local Yuck Yucks Club. There, there's, there's, there's a thing here in the comedy world called touring comics. Comics who just go club to club, and whatever city you're in, I guarantee you, you're going to be able to go catch some amazing talent in comedy uh, at the Yuck Yucks clubs. Uh, go online, check them out, yuckyucks.com, and uh, you can also read up about the show. We have updates there all the time. I keep a little blog on there. So uh, lots of pictures of our guests. Go check it out. But right now, come with me. Let's go talk to Sam Tripoli. All over town Strictly bitch You don't play around Cover much ground Got game by the town my guest today is a comedian, writer, producer, and host of some wildly entertaining shows. You have seen him on Wild World of Spike, Monsters of Comedy, Rockstars of Comedy, but it's his work on his other comedy shows that have truly propelled this gifted comedian to the forefront. The Naughty Show, his appearances on the Joe Rogan Experience, Ice House Chronicles, and of course his big show, Punch Drunk Sports, which airs on Tuesdays from 12 to 2 with co-hosts Ari Shafir and Jason Thiebel. Just fresh off of a uh, big appearance at Yuck Yucks Calgary, uh, my guest today, Mr. Sam Tripoli. Sam, how are you? Wow, that is the best intro I've ever gotten <laughs> on a podcast ever. All true, though, man. Yeah, All thank true. you. Thank you. That was so nice. Usually, hey, it's Sam, and they mess up my name. Sam Tripolo. How's your stay in Calgary been, man? Dude, I, I would move to Canada if I could. Would you? Yeah. If I could find a way to live in L.A. during the, the warm months and then – or live in Canada during the warm months and then L.A. during the winters, I would do it. I love Canada. There's nothing about Canada I don't like. Okay. What I don't like <laughs> is 75% hockey on SportsCenter. Besides <laughs> that, I could take literally everything else. <laughs> what uh, speaking of sports though, like you're a huge sports guy man yeah yeah, yeah. what's your podcast what, what do you uh what's your daily watch thing like what what do you keep up on are you keeping up on basketball right now uh my hierarchy of sports goes uh basketball mma f- football nfl football then it's like baseball followed by hockey and then you know <laughs> soccer but for the most part the big three the four or uh, NBA, UFC, and uh, NFL. Yeah. Who are you taking right now? Are you taking Golden State or the Cavs? Well, I mean, I think it's such an interesting thing when that the the with the visiting team goes in, right? Like, and they can steal that first one, it becomes interesting, right? But now with Kyrie Irving hurt, you know, it's going to be hard, man. But I just there's something about LeBron James that just I just don't think you could ever count him out. Yeah, yeah. And if that team is. That's a good defensive team. It's just going to be interesting to see. I just I don't understand why people are just cool with Steph Curry tiptoeing down the lane like it's it's a a, a field of roses and, and, and barley. You know, it's just like why doesn't anybody hit that guy when he goes down the lane? It's like when I was growing up in basketball, it was the '90s, and we watched basketball, and it was like the lane was a bad neighborhood. Like right. if you went down there, you knew you were going to get mugged. And this guy just <laughs> he like he like double dutches his way down the freaking lane, dude. I just don't get it. 
get physical with him. I'm not saying hurt him. I'm not saying hurt anybody, but you gotta get physical with Steph Curry. Exactly. You gotta hit him when he goes down that leg. <laughs> Oh man! So uh, okay, take me back to the very, very beginning, man. You, uh, Cortland, New York, right? Upstate, upstate yep. New York, man. And it's not—that's not a huge town. It's a small town. Small town, but uh, fifteen thousand. Yeah, and you've, you there's some royalty that uh, Ronnie James Dio. Man. Ronnie James there's Dio came Dio from Street, there. Right? Elton Brand was born in Cortland, New York. No way. Yeah, the basketball player. Wow. Um, Kevin James, rumor is, went to college. Really? For a short time at Cortland State. Uh, what was his name? The one, the one uh, wrestler. There was a wrestler that went to college in Cortland, New York. I forget what his name was, but a famous wrestler went there. Really? But the man, the myth, and the legend is Ronnie, Ronnie James Dio. <laughs> they even there's, have a street name. There's after. a street named after him, Dio. It's like this weird <laughs> street next to like an empty factory. It's like they, they could they found the only street that they had named. They gave it to him. It's barely a street. It's more like a driveway. <laughs> <laughs> and what was that like growing up, man? Growing up in Cortland. Well, you know what's so funny about Cortland was like I, I never knew how redneck it was until I left. Right. And then I go back and I look at pictures. I was having a mullet, you know, <laughs> because I was like a white kid in a farmer town who listened to rap. Right. <laughs> and I thought that made me black. <laughs> and I, I mean, I used to break dance. I was in this famous group for Cortland called the HDI Breakers. We were sponsored by the Holiday Inn, right? <laughs> And we got we got free we got free gear from the Holiday Inn. They bought us gear. We played the Maple Leaf Festival. No my nickname, way. my street name was Wacky because after Wacky Fruit Bubblegum, which I thought would be a cool street name, and uh, it was crazy. I didn't realize how like I like I talk about my act. I like I like thick women because right. of that area. You grow attracted to what's around you, right? And like it was a lot of sloppy ass, and I was like I really like it. You know, I like thick women, and uh, it was just crazy. And now it's like it's there's crystal meth everywhere it's got so it's pretty much like everywhere else that it used to be magical now it's not <laughs> you know you only recognize that stuff when you go back and visit man yeah it's, it's like just, oh we got meth everywhere it's like oh my god <laughs> I remember that growing up that's amazing it's weird because meth is just like it's just like there's nothing to do there yeah so like meth is like time travel you know <laughs> it just helps you kill like four days you smoke meth you're like on monday you're like oh it's saturday oh that was awesome <laughs> Didn't have to feel that. <laughs> Stayed up for five days straight. Well, I didn't that. Flight back home to L.A. Oh, okay, so so you went to Cortland High School, and then like, what were you the like, class clown growing up? Were you always I, yeah? I was class clown in sixth grade and class clown senior. I'm the only person ever to go to college to high school with the sole purpose of winning class clown. Holy shit! And they ended the they ended the award for a couple of years after me. Really? They, yeah, because they knew I was I was trying to get it. <laughs> so I went there, and the thing that's about being funny is uh, when you're really young, funny's not attractive, right? To right. Girls, right? I had a girl tell me if I didn't know who you were, I I, I think you were retarded. <laughs> <laughs> like the, you're like, oh Jesus, thank you. Then you get to college, and it just you know, goes insane. Like, yeah. Girls are really attracted. Oh yeah, to very funny people. But in high school, it was just weird. I wasn't. I wasn't, and I I didn't excel at anything except for being funny. That was literally it. I lived in my brother's shadow. Right. My brother, we called him the white Bo Jackson because he was uh, really good at golf and bowling. Like he was, he was like, he was the greatest bowler in New York State at one point, my brother. He could bowl 300s with both hands. No way. Yeah, that is impossible. Holy shit. Yeah, he was that good. He was a he was a fifteen year old hanging out with grown ass men. No way. Like in upstate New York, if you're a great bowler, that's the equivalent of walking on water. I was gonna say, yeah, there's like a ton of bowling out yeah, there. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah. So he must have been a ringer, man. They bring in the ringer for all these things. Yeah. Yeah. He wow. was uh, he was the best, dude. He was he was uh, and I lived in his shadow and right. I was two years older. It was like <laughs> so I like I, I had nothing to put my hat on. And then I went to UNLV and, and then it all changed. But uh, yeah, Corlin was fun, man. Yeah, fun. so what what precipitated this I mean that's a huge move, man. Most kids that are from small towns, they just stick around. What uh, what was the draw to UNLV? Well my dad at a very young age convinced me that I had to leave upstate New York. Right. And he would always drop hints to go to Vegas. Right. And then later on, I realized he just wanted me to buy a house out there so he could write off on his taxes <laughs> and fly out every other month to go to Vegas. Because my dad, he's like, he's a professional gambler. Oh, no he way. He calls, 
the Indians, you know, he goes to the office. <laughs> so he'll always be like, I'm at the office. I'm like, there goes my inheritance, which has been gone a long time ago. Uh, so, I, I, and, and then, to be honest with you, I'm Armenian. Right. And so Jerry Tarkanian was a big oh, yeah. coach there. And right. I loved basketball. And they just won their national championship. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go out there because I thought it would be a great place to start stand-up comedy. Right. It, it wasn't. It was a horrible place to start. <laughs> That's a tough, tough there, place to do well, it. Well, then it was. Now it's awesome. Right, right. Like, if you're a young comic and you want stage time, Vegas has tons of stage time. Right, right. And there's a lot, you know, it's like, I love the Vegas scene. And a lot of my friends are out there. There's some very funny people like Gooch and my buddy Bobby Wayne. He's out there. They're two funny guys, man. Uh, but a lot of dudes just don't hustle out there. Right. But there's a lot of stage time. Like, they're opening, like, two or three more stand-up clubs out there. No Which way. is going to bring the number up to, like, six or seven. Yeah. And they, you know, back when I lived in Vegas, locals couldn't play the comedy clubs because they would just fly out guys from L.A. All the out-of-towners. And we were the too names. dirty right, for that right. time because this was back when everybody wanted to be Seinfeld. Right, right, right. Because uh, Seinfeld just came in and changed the game. Everybody was going to be, want, you had to be like observational, do family material. Right. And that's all anybody wanted. Right. So it was hard for us to get in. So when I started doing stand up, just to let you know about the Vegas comedy scene, Vegas comedy scene, the godfather is, is Doug Stanhope. Really? Yeah. Of he's Vegas. the guy who's basically started the whole thing. No way. Then he left, and I came in like a year later, and then right. I took it over. Right. And when I started doing stand-up comedy, there was one open mic every other week in the wow. entire city. Holy shit, that's incredible. So there was nowhere to go. So I, what I did was I ran around, and I just went to different clubs, mm -hmm. and I different bars, and I found their slowest night. Right. And I go, give me your slowest night. Let me do a stand-up show. Right. And I would just create my own, and I would host my shows, and I would get ton of time i would yeah. do like you know within the show i do an hour of my own shit just oh, having man. fun with it right 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 so i progressed and I, I had a improv troupe called the mutiny mutiny right and uh we booked professional gigs in these casinos i was playing all the all the uh what were they called the there's a there's all oh, the uh, the palace stations all the station casinos all the uh yes. fertita ones yeah. that they own yeah. sunset then there was sunset there was palace they had like santa fe station, station and all that all those yeah. stations so we we were playing i was getting paid wow not a lot of money but enough to be like dude i'm making money doing this right so i uh, eventually got my own stand-up show on on the vegas strip and then i opened up for some really funny people at the riviera and i said you know what i'm done i'm gonna move to la but yeah that's where i started i love that's vegas. amazing i man. still love vegas and you went to school for psychology. Yeah, I got a degree in psychology. Yeah, that's I don't remember doing any homework. I don't remember doing anything. <laughs> what made you jump into psychology, man? What was that? Uh, well, I always knew I wanted to be a comedian since right. like the moment uh, like of there comes that moment where you realize you're 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 in the universe. Right. Like you're like oh, I'm somebody. Yeah. That moment, I also realized I wanted to be a stand-up comic. Yeah. So. From the moment, I, I just always wanted to be a comic. I always loved making people laugh. So, But I had to go to school because my parents were like, no, you're going to college. So right around then, Basic Instinct and Silence of the Lambs had come out. And they were both psychologists. I'm like, yeah, I like that. I'm, I'm going to be a psychologist. <laughs> oh, my God, man. That's a crazy segue. Uh, and, and going back to uh, just like the whole performance piece, uh, you once said, I quote, that performing and the desire to make people laugh has been in my blood since I was two years old. Uh, do you feel like you still have that same spark, man? Like oh, when I you love first? it. Yeah, it's just born into you. You know, I used to hear Michael Jordan talk about the only time he has peace is when he's, he was on the court. Right. Like the only time everything stops and he could just chill. Yeah. That's the exact same way I feel about stand-up comedy. Like the, the stage is so like it's tranquility. It's quiet. It's your moment. You're, you can do what you want to do. And then the moment you step off, it's like it's back into the, the chaos Reality and the of business of just living, you know? Right, right. But on stage, it's quiet. It's just, it's just fun and everybody's paying attention to you and you're doing all these Jedi mind tricks on everybody. <laughs> like, yeah, I love it. If I could just do stand-up, I would do that. 
but you can't do that anymore. Now you got to be like CEO of Sam Tripoli Enterprises, and you have to do everything. <laughs> right. You got to promote. You got to get people to sit in the seats. You got to you know book it. I, I got to do everything. Right. Right. And I don't mind that because you know it's a grind, but right. you know there's way worse grinds for sure. There's Absolutely. Way worse. Grinds. <laughs> I've had people quit comedy and they come back like two weeks later, like eyes. I'm never going back to that. You know. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love entertaining people. That's that's amazing, man. And and you said like you ended up moving to uh, L.A. after Vegas, which yeah. which for many performers and comedians, uh, that's truly the deep end of the pool, man. Like no matter how successful you were before, going into that city, you get quickly reminded of where you sit, right? Yeah, well, there's two scenes you can go to. You can go to uh, L.A. or New York. New York is a more comedy loving city, right? Where you can make a job. You can make a living doing stand-up. You right. can gig in all these clubs. You can make a living. Uh, LA's when you want to just go for it, you right, know? Right. And I was very blessed, man. I had a bunch of great things happen, some bad things happen, but some really good things happened. I got picked up very quickly. I had a bit that I did uh, called the stripper in a wheelchair bit. And right. it was like, it was very, people loved that bit, like right out the gate. And it's so funny because... I look at where comedy is now, right? And like that bit was so ahead of its time. And I, people are like, oh, you're stroking your own ego, but it was like, what's now is like, if you watch like Workaholics, right, right, The Tosh Show, or all that stuff, like fun, dark, dirty, yeah, edgy stuff. And like I was doing that a long time ago. Like wow. when everyone's trying to be like Seinfeld, I was just being honest. Like I just love to be honest, and that right. that kind of came from a, a affirmative action bit that I was joking about because there's this whole thing about. Or that they should pull back affirmative action. And I thought, you know, they should have it everywhere, even in strip clubs. And I, <laughs> I started talking about stripper in a wheelchair. And I, I'd use the, the uh, mic pole, the mic stand as my pole. And it, you know, it got me a standing on Comedy Central. I, no way, which yeah. is really rare. How, how well, often is that ever rare. Happen. I don't know yeah. if it's rare anymore. but Because they, they would tell you not to give standing O's. Right, right. They're like, do not give a standing O for this guy. Right. And... <laughs> For anybody, they're like, don't do it. And they gave it to me. I'm like, holy shit. And I was like, that's really cool, man. That's amazing. Um, yeah. So, uh, what was I talking about? No, about, about doing that comedy before anybody else was really doing it. And, yeah. and what was this like? What was the scene like back you, in LA oh, on dude, that time? It was, it, was, it was really hard. I would either absolutely annihilate the room right. or get booed off stage. Really? And, and, like, dude, ask anybody who knew me back in the day. They're like, I'm not, my friend Brett Ernst is always like, I, Sam Triplett, I've never seen more people get uh, one guy. I've never seen one guy get more standing O's and then the following show get booed off stage. Because <laughs> it was just a different time. Oh my God, man. You know, nobody wanted to talk about what was really going on. That's kind of what I'm, I, I don't, I'm never trying to be edgy for the sake of being edgy. Right. I always just try to be honest on stage. Right. Some right. people really hate that. Yeah. Like everybody loves. Everybody loves people being honest until they start getting honest. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, we really like to just hear what we all already agree upon a lot of times. Yeah. You know? I remember reading something about you where somebody had said, uh, Sam Tripoli has been so honest in comedy. He's been saying the things that we've all think, yeah. but we're all afraid to say. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's, it's changed a lot. Right. It's changed a lot. Now it's... It's definitely way more open. Now you're right. still going to run into those crowds that are just like, mm, you know. Yeah. I do a bit about the time uh, I was doing stand-up in uh, Dana Point, and uh, I got heckled by this lesbian, and she ended up sitting on my face on stage, <laughs> right? And, uh, and I talk about this, and like, like in Canada, the women laugh, because right. Canadian women just get it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but in America, they just stay ice on because they think I want that, and I'm like, I don't want that. I don't want this gorgeous woman sitting on my face while people are cheering me on. Do you think I want that? And then, you know, uh, and then I talk about, it's like, because in, in America, and like Canadian women are totally different. Like, I, I almost want to say that before I go on stage. Like, anything I say about women here does not apply to you. Right. Because you ladies get it, you know? <laughs> but like, white women over 35 in America, they are the worst comedy crowd ever. Because they come to comedy shows looking to get offended. Right. Like, they almost practice <laughs> talking to management in the mirror before they show up. <laughs> Because they get offended on like other people's behalf. Right, right. Like if you do a joke about a midget, they're like, I saw a midget one time five years ago. If that midget happened to be here, he would be really sad. So I'm going to get angry on his behalf. 
It's like an absentee vote or some shit like that. <laughs> and and how, how much do you find you have to alter your uh, comedy, man? Like, Do you ever have to alter really shit when you go anymore. around? No? I don't really. Once in a while, I'll do it. Right, right. Like, I'm doing a club next week. That's a really great club, but he likes it a little safer. So, I mean, I'll figure it out. I'm not really a guy like, hey, dude, I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm gonna, if i got to burn this place down, I'm going to burn it down. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know a lot of those kamikaze comics. Right. They're some of my favorites. Yeah. Doug Stanhope, oh, Jason yeah. Rouse. Right. You know, right. those guys are like the late night rumblers. Dude, yeah. I like those guys. But you know, I've, I I can do everything. Yeah. I like the you know I've done I've done really old people shows. Right. And like they're like God keep playing. I'm like no problem. I just do crowd work. And then the old people get really like start getting filthy. Like this, <laughs> these two eighty year olds are just talking about all the boning they're doing back at the. And like one, it's free and it's successful, and you don't got to worry about getting anybody pregnant, right? God, dude, that is great, man. You know, oh, so yeah. uh, I can I can do everything. I'm not really somebody who goes, but it's like, it's like, why would you hire me? Like, I it, this is a great story about Rouse. He gets hired to do this gig in Vegas, right? And he does the set, and afterwards, the guy's like, "You've ruined me. <laughs> You've ruined me." The guy loses the gig, and the guy's like, "Why would you do that?" So then, like two weeks later, I I meet with this guy, and I talk to him. I'm like, "Hold on, are you the guy that hired Jason Rouse to do this gig?" He's like, "Yeah." I go, "What happened?" He's like, "I lost the gig. Uh, I'm I'm really upset about it." I go, "It's a clean gig." He goes, "Yeah." I go, "Why'd you hire Rouse?" Well, I thought you saw the I don't give a shit what the contract says. Why would you hire Ralph? It makes no comedy is the only thing when people see you do one thing, they love it, they want to hire you, and they want you to change. Right, 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 right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. It's the only thing in the world where that (laughs) happens for television. We love what you're doing. This is great. Now change it. It's just like, (laughs) why? Why don't you take that entire act out, tone it down? Let's not get into anything dangerous. What are we doing? See, the problem with comedy, especially in the States, is it's the only form of entertainment that's completely gotten re- away from the train wreck marketing. Right, right. Which is do something absolutely insane and let everybody talk about it, and they'll all show up to watch you. Great story is back in the day, Gallagher. Do you know right. Gallagher yeah, got yeah, yeah. started? He, was, he did a show in the Westwood Comedy Club. It's the comedy store. Right. It was the first time it was open. He walked in there, and he was bored, and he took this giant mallet. And he fucking smashed this watermelon. Right. And it went everywhere. And he thought he was going to get banned. He got a call from Mitzi. Are you going to do the watermelon thing again? He's like, oh, I'm sorry. So, no, we got a line out the door of people who want to come watch you smash fruit. It's like the crazier it is, the more people are going to come. But we've gotten all away from it. Stand-up comedy and comedy clubs right. are all about keep it simple. Got to make sure everybody... Fuck it, man. <laughs> fucking torch the place. Smash watermelons. Fucking dollars to see. I want to see something crazy. <laughs> like I talk about this, the best day to go to the zoo is when somebody gets eaten. That's the best day. <laughs> That's the best time to the go. San Francisco Zoo. Some guy got eaten by a tiger. Next day was the busiest day ever at the zoo. And now they've done everything, so it will never happen again. They might have to close the zoo down. Because nobody's going to the fucking zoo. Because everyone knows nobody's going to get eaten by fucking animals again. Do you tell me there's a fucking one in ten chance somebody gets eaten today at the Calgary Zoo? I'm fucking there. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm crying. I haven't oh, cried I in such a long time. I radio man. today. <laughs> Just fucking sitting there and these DJs are like... <laughs> What I'm that? like, God, how's this going? <laughs> oh my God! You know, <laughs> oh, you know uh, what? A lot of people don't know is that there's a huge correlation between door guys. It's, speaking of Mitzi Shore, uh, at the comedy store, uh, Ari Shafir, Mark Marin, um, Sam Kinison, Robert Townsend, Sam Steve, Tripoli, Steve Simone, St- Michael Keaton, Steve Keenan Ivory Wayans, yeah. Well, it's it's actually a very coveted job. What, what's the what, what's the? Well, I mean, this this was more of the Mitzi Shore era, so right. Um, which is and the comedy store is in the golden age right now. Right. You know, Joe Rogan was talking the other day that it's like this is as good as it was in the eighties. Right. Uh, it's just 
I mean, they're selling out shows on Tuesday nights there now. Wow, unbelievable! It's just, it's just a magical place right now, and um, Mitzi just Mitzi had a way of like humbling you. Right. Her whole thing was like break your spirit <laughs> and then let you grow. Right. Right. And uh, I remember I'm one of two people ever in the history of Mitzi Shore booking the Comedy Store to ever have my very first paid spot. Right. Was a main room spot. The only other person was Roseanne Barr. That's incredible. Me and Roseanne, in like the 20-some years she booked that place, she only put two people in the main room spot. And uh, I got my first spot. And, you know, I had come from, uh, I was like, I was a street kid when it comes to comedy, to be honest with you, because I was baptized in bars. Right. Trial by fire. Not like Canadian bars where everybody's listening and being polite. (laughs) I like... Uh, we're talking like Vegas, like dingy, <laughs> dirty, fucking rock club bars. Right. You know, just like, just white trash. And um, so I, I, I never really understood. It was very hard for me at first to learn how to uh, work in comedy clubs. Right. Because it's a different vibe. Yeah. Like every level you do is there is a different vibe of comedy. And, you know, I did, uh, I was a bar guy, so I would go in there and just go crazy and like white white women over 30 would be like ah! <laughs> so i always had my head what if i bomb and i would always have like a weird set and then i would be like they're never gonna ask me back right. so i get asked to do the comedy the main room of the comedy store and i followed charles fleischer and i don't know if you know who yeah, charles yeah, fleischer absolutely. is he's the voice of roger rabbit right and this time he was a legend at the comedy store and he was doing like an hour of comedy wow no, but it was just an hour That's of like crazy. This improv. That was very intelligent stuff, and he was very good at getting people rocking and rolling. And I didn't know who he was, and yeah. I was just so excited to get my first spot. Yeah, and and uh, I went up there and I bombed. I'm like, I bomb, bomb. Do you do you remember what some of your material was back then? No, I don't even remember. <laughs> I, uh, you know what I did? Is I actually it's so funny because Duncan Trussell was the booker of the comedy store at the time. And he called me up. He's like, hey, dude, because him and Maz Gibrani are two of my good friends. And they were both like, listen, we can get you into store. They're doing a Middle Eastern show now. And this is before 9-11. And right. he was like, I have a feeling your guys are going to need a show. She literally said that. So I'm going to put together a, uh, she's going to put together a, a Middle Eastern show. Arabian Nights. Arabian Nights Arabian is Nights. the original Middle Eastern show. Wow. And I was Armenian, <laughs> right. which is so not Arabian Nights, but at that point, whatever you got to get to get into that place, You'll take you it. do it. <laughs> so he goes, listen, Doug calls me up. Here's how you, you get past by Muncie Shore. You do a joke about your ethnic group. You jo- do a joke about one of your parents, and then you do your favorite joke. Right, right. Go, okay, great. So I do a joke about uh, being Armenian. And going to the pool, going to the beach, and how it's really hard to take your shirt off, baby, start crying. <laughs> like, it's really, really, like, simple comedy. <laughs> right. And then I did a bit, real quickly, I'd showcase for Mitzi a bunch of times. Right. I got almost a standing O the first time I showcased. Wow. And she's like, he's too crazy, but I killed too, so hard that the booker at the time, Princess Corey, who was married to this great comic who had passed away a while ago, Freddie Soto, who was one of the funniest dudes ever and had a really... Tragic, you know, passed away. It was really tragic. Right. Um, she, I killed so hard. Right. She's like, listen, you killed hard. Mitzi thinks you're too crazy. I'm going to make you something called a showcase regular. So I'd showcase a bunch of times, did really well. So this first time I, I do this thing and I do the uh, audition for the, uh, the Middle Eastern show and I do all my stuff and, and I do, Joke about being uh, Armenian, going to the beach. Then I do a joke about my mom power walking. <laughs> then I end it with Asians loving ecstasy bit. <laughs> and Joey Diaz comes to me, oh, dog, that's my favorite bit. That's so good. I'm like, that's a good bit when Joey Diaz likes your bit. We're talking about Coco. Coco Joey, Diaz was shit. like, that was the best bit, man. Wow. I was, I was talking about how Asians love ecstasy because they're so smart. <laughs> Their visuals are just 10 times better than everybody else's. Like, we're dumb. We drop our, our bits, our, our visuals in, are in 8-bit, right? <laughs> They're, like, looking at IMAX, super dopey, digital sound, right? They're amazing, right? And I did it. And it ended with a dick joke about how they look down. They, they got a dick the size of Godzilla. 
uh, you know, just crushing Tokyo. And everybody's going crazy. So I, you know, I'm Armenian, so I walk up and I go, Mitzi. The whole kid was talking to Mitzi. And right. the funniest thing about showcasing for Mitzi was you prayed that somebody didn't sit next to her right. and talk to her while you were showcasing. Because people were desperate for spots. Right, right. And the only time you could get a hold of her was when she's sitting there showcasing. And someone else is performing so and they the come up. was to get... Okay, I'm going to tell you a story, how it worked for me. Right. I just went to, uh, I just moved to L.A., and I'm doing a joke at the Hustler in Hollywood Cafe. This guy, Johnny Montagna was his name. <laughs> I'm Johnny Montagna. What's up, everybody? What's up? I'm Johnny Montagna. That's how he talked. He was crazy. And he, he was, What's this headshot? Oh, my God, it's so gay, this headshot. He would put me up, and I'm doing this bit about how hard it is to be a white guy. Right. Because I grew up in upstate New York. Even though I'm Armenian, I think I was. I grew up thinking I was white. Right, right. Because right? I thought I was white. Yeah. And then I moved to L.A., and I realized I'm Armenian, and that has a whole different connotation <laughs> that I would learn over time. Right. So I get up, I'm doing it, and Paul Mooney, do you know who Paul Mooney is? Paul Mooney, of course. One yeah. of the greatest Legend, of all man. time. Yeah. Like, if you ever watch Richard Pryor's Live from the Sunset Strip, right. his... Uh, his Richard Pryor walks off, and uh, one name comes on the screen, Paul Mooney, and another name doesn't come until his name is off the Clears That's the screen. That's how great this guy was. Wow. He comes up to me. He goes, oh, homie. Oh, you ain't white, homie. <laughs> he goes, homie, you's Armenian. You's a nigga. <laughs> Holy shit. And I was like, oh, my God. I just got called the N-word by the guy who uses the N-word all the That's the greatest day of my life. I would put that on my Wikipedia. <laughs> Been called the N-word by Paul Mooney. Paul Mooney, dude. The greatest of all time. The greatest user of the N-word has just called me the N-word. <laughs> that is the baptism. <laughs> so later on, this comes and it comes back. So I'm doing my set. Right. I'm like, please, nobody sit down. I look who's sitting next to her, Paul Mooney. And I don't know how to take it. So I'm just like, it's on my hands. Crush, crush, crush. Right. Paul goes there, oh, Mitzi. You got to pick this kid up. No he's way. He's so funny. So he he's vouches dangerous. for you. He, he's totally... He totally dropped about... Wow. Promotes it. Yeah. Totally vouches for this nigger. You know what I'm what? saying? <laughs> so he vouches for me. And uh, I've been called the N-word a lot, dude. By the way, favorite time when I'm banging a chick. I don't know if you've ever been called the N-word when you're fucking. It is glorious, dude. Nothing makes your dick harder than oppression. I'll tell you that. Right now. Oppression. So... I get off stage. I do my Asian sexy bit. She probably doesn't even know what I'm talking about at the time, but it kills. Right. So I walk off stage. I walk. I go, hey, Mitzi. I just want to thank you so much for the, for the for the showcase. Right. She goes, are you Syrian? <laughs> and I'm gonna tell you, with all honesty, I had no clue what a Syrian was at the time. <laughs> But I'm a Syrian right now. <laughs> you told Mitzi Shore you were Syrian. I go, hell yeah, I'm Syrian. <laughs> Syrian for life. <laughs> Syrian to the day I die. Who do we hate? I'll kill them. <laughs> Who do we hate? Who do Syrians hate? I'll fight them right now. Oh, my God. She goes, okay, you're great. She goes, listen, I want you to do one more showcase. Thursday night, you're going to do a showcase in the main room. And I go, Holy and there was uh, this guy named Jay Davis who, it's so funny that like people don't realize like who Jay Davis is. He's this, um, he's this funny comic in L.A., but he's this magical, he booked this show called Dublin. So that's a whole different story. But Dublin's was, if you ask anybody from L.A. that's around my age. Right. Maybe from like uh, anywhere from like, I'm 22, but uh, anyone from, anywhere from 30 <laughs> to like 45, like about Dublin's comedy. Right. If you ever get anybody, see if, you, if they know anything about they'll go crazy for it. It was literally the greatest comedy show ever. Really? It was so good that the comedy clubs were freaking out. Because no one was going to their clubs on a Tuesday. Everybody These was going taking all the to heat. Dublin's wow. to watch comedy. Wow. Just to let you know, like, it was so big. It's where Dane Cook got discovered. Like, unknowns were going up. Sebastian Mascalco, wow. Mazzubrani, Brett Ernst, Doug Davidoff, Brian Callen. Like, Holy no one knew who these guys were. Yeah. And they're like, they're like the best of the best right now. And they were all going up there because you could go to Dublin's, and that's how you basically announced yourself. Wow. And That's incredible. Black, I followed Tommy Davidson one time. He did 30 minutes on how crazy white girls are. Got a standing O. I go up and talk about how he just slammed into a van, and you never know who's in the van. Could be a fucked serial killer. Uh, you know, it could be a, a Mexican family. You don't know how many people they're packing in that. 
And the bo- hundreds. <laughs> the bouncer at the time was this guy was in 1955. Right. Mr. Universe. Holy shit. Like he was this Old school. Shot. Still, in 1955, still bouncing. The biggest black human being I've ever seen in my life. I nicknamed him Deep Space because he was so big and black, right? He gets off stage like, triple 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 My God. I had to protect you. People wanted to kick your ass. I thought you were racist. I go, I just followed Tommy Davidson doing 30 minutes on how crazy white women are. You get up and people want to kill you. They want. That's it. Like one day I'm getting high five. Next day, get the fuck off the stage. So Jay Davis has a podcast. I mean, has a, a live show and he's doing it Thursday nights in the main room. Right. And uh, I go up. Now, Mazibrani's going up because he's part of this Arabian Nights thing. The people who get picked up that week are myself, Aaron Cater, Ahmed Ahmed, and then uh, Maz has already made a ring. But Maz wants to get our friend Brett Ernst. I don't know if you've ever heard of Brett Ernst, the comedian. Really no. funny guy. Yeah. Monster comic. So Maz acts like he, he's hiding. Right. So you can't see him. So they go, we can't find Maz right now. He's somewhere around. Can we put up this? Like, put him up. So Brett goes up. He gets picked up that night. Right. So he got picked up. I got picked up. Aaron Cater got picked up. And, and I became a regular there. So I crushed. Next day. I get a call from Duncan. Guess what, Triple A? She likes so much, she's going to put you up in the main room. And just let you know, the only other person she's ever done this for is Roseanne Barr. Wow. Good luck. Holy shit. Talk about pressure. So I go up there and Bob. <laughs> Bob. I bob for 15 minutes. I bob so bad, it becomes funny how bad I'm bobbing. <laughs> and the crowd's just laughing. I'm like, I'm done here. I'm never going to see Ever again. <laughs> Next day. She wants you to go up again. No way. She asked you yeah. to come back again. And that was the beauty of Mitzi Shore. Like, she always challenged you when you struggle right. to learn to get through it. Wow. So, like, if you ever call someone going, I don't want to follow that guy anymore. For three months, you would follow that person. Wow. Every time. She knew two comics hated each other. She'd make them follow them all the time. No way. Oh, yeah. Baptism by fire, dude. Wow. And we're talking, of course, legendary Mitzi Shore, Polly Shore's mom. Right? The, she's the, the imprint on comedy. Will ne- will, it will never be enough to understand how much she influenced comedy. Yeah. Because there was like two major players back then. I think it was Bud uh, Friedman, right? Bud Friedman at the improv. At the improv. And then Mitzi Shore at, yep. the, at, uh, at the comedy store. Uh, one of my favorite quotes, man, you said was, uh, for the first year I did comedy at the, you were talking about the comedy store. I pretty much got bumped by Andrew Dice Clay almost every night. And then I'd have to follow Joe Rogan, who was just crushing. It was like baptism by fire. The comedy store, I consider like a dojo. You practice your Kung Fu and then you go out into the world and whip a little ass. Do you think those experience helped shape you as a performer? man? hundred percent. Yeah. Like you need that to, to get better. You know, Joan Rivers you know, what, regardless of what people thought about her, it probably was the best at just describing comedy. And she always said, if you're killing every night, you're doing something wrong. Right. And I've always felt that you have to be able to fail right. in comedy. And, uh, you know, comedy is like Jurassic Park, that, qu- that, that famous line where, like, life finds a way. Yeah. You remember yeah, that yeah. line? Yeah, absolutely. We're like, oh, we're just doing females, uh, right. dinosaurs. And Jeff Goldblum's like, life finds a way. Exactly. Right? And yeah. that's really comedy. You have to learn to follow. You have to learn to find a way under the worst circumstances possible. Right. And the key is to anything is when you're, at, when you're most afraid to slow down. And then st- stick to your guns and stay in the pocket. And there was times where my jokes were funnier than me. Right. The jokes carried me when I was like, oh, this could go bad fast. Right. And I just learned over time how to survive. You know. And the thing that's so great about the comedy store back when I started was that it, it was the inmates who were in the asylum. Right, right. And it's why there'll never be another comedy store. Even the comedy store now, which is a fabulous place. Mm-hmm. And it's a blessing how well it's doing. Sure. Because everything in, com- in L.A. now, unless it makes a gazillion dollars, gets knocked down by Europeans and they right. build, like, useless condos and no one's going <laughs> right. to live it. <laughs> right, right. You know? So the comedy store has to make money to stay around. And it's doing awesome. Yeah. But the days of, like, being able to fail, I just don't feel like that's anywhere anymore. And that was the blessing I got from being at the comedy store was like 
you know, I could, I mean, New Year's Eve one year, I was so drunk on stage, I walked 200 people. <laughs> I, I, and a week and a half later, I got spots again. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no way. Yeah, I walked 200, I was so shit-faced. <laughs> I didn't even remember what the fuck I was doing. And they're like, Mitzi's not happy with him. I'm like, story of my life. <laughs> but for the first, first two years at the comic store, I would get bumped by either Andrew Dice Clay, Eddie Griffin doing three hours Holy shit. on stage, or Joe Rogan doing his Power Hour 25. Right, right. And I had to learn to keep people there. Wow. It was not, now, those days are done. You can't do that anymore at the yeah, store, yeah, yeah. which is, I think is good. Right. It's a showcase club. Right. Nobody wants to see anybody more than 20, 25 minutes. Right, right. Because people, it's a turnover kind of thing. But it was a lesson learned, dude. And yeah. now it's like, oh, you got to follow blah, blah, blah. It's like, does not matter to right, me. Right, right. I follow anybody. I remember one time uh, we were doing a show and Doug Stanhope had shown up. And he's like my favorite. And he's such a nice guy. And so they're like, someone's got to follow Doug. One of you fuckers got to do it. <laughs> I'm like, I'll go. I don't give a fuck. You know? And I went up there and I crushed. Because it just doesn't matter. You know? I've always said my will to kill is stronger than their will not to laugh. Right, right. You know? Sometimes you just walk in those crowds and you're just like, we're not going to laugh. We don't care. And you just got to like, oh, grind it. Yeah. Bring it right to them, dude. You know? Wow, man. And I have an interesting look because I'm not a funny looking guy. Right, right. I talk about on stage. I'm kind of creepy looking. <laughs> I'm like, I, got, I, I look like a fat vampire. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so people, I can't walk up on stage. Like, there's something about looking funny that helps you be funny. Right, right. People like to know. It's like stereotypes. As much as we hate stereotypes, we like stereotypes because it kind of lets us understand who the people are. Right. And if you have a certain look, stereotype, you play to that stereotype, it goes over well. Because the less people have to think, the harder they laugh. It's yeah. just the way it is. Absolutely, and uh, I don't have that. I'm, uh, <laughs> I look like a, a drug-dealing Armenian. You know what I'm saying? So I have to go up there, and it's like over time I had to learn how to get them to ease up. When I, I walked up off stage, and people were like, you're so funny. I didn't want to like you at all. It's like, why? I, I'm at a comedy club. This, this is a stand-up lineup, not a police lineup. You're not picking up who raped you. I'm telling fucking jokes up here. <laughs> I didn't want to like you. I didn't want to like you. Who does that? Who hates it? You know, it's like, I've had people swing on me on stage. No way. Just throw chairs at me. <laughs> throw glasses at me. It's like, who goes to the kids' party and punches the clown? What an asshole. Oh, my, oh, oh my God, man. You know, oh, I don't even know how to segue into this next one. Uh, you know, part of every comedian's experience is some of the amazing friendships that they've made along the way. You've made some pretty badass friends coming up in comedy. Uh, again, names like Ari Shafir, Joe Rogan. Uh, even had Russell Peters retweeting you today yeah. for the Yuck Yuck show. Yeah. Uh, but when you were a comic starting out, uh, did you always find the comedy scene to be a very welcoming one? Were people threatened by people getting... Because I remember Joe Rogan talking about this one time. And it's like this weird organic feeling that when you see someone else succeed, it's like it's some part of you that feels like they're taking something away from you. It so, is. A, do people do see that? I don't see it like that. Right. And I never saw it like that. People would think I was crazy. When I moved to L.A., man, I, I, I remember being at the improv and it was me... Uh, one of the managers at the improv, and the improv's great. This is no sign them. This is just more of LA. Right. And uh, they, they, you know, uh, one of the managers and two like kind of headliners, and the four of us were talking. And I realized every time I talked, I my what I said got discounted. Mm-hmm. And I started realizing, oh, so it's like your your credits are what determine whether you you have a valid point or not. Right. And I learned, and then I was like, I'm never gonna treat people like that. Right. And I've right. always been like, I don't care who you are, where you are. I'm going to treat you nice because right. I, I like comics. Yeah. So you're not a joke thief. Right, right. I like people. Right. I'm a big, I like to be, and the comedy store can be a very hard place to get used to. Right. Because there are a lot of people there. There's so many levels of comedians there. And, you know, some of the levels aren't very nice levels. They're very, they can be very brutal people. So whenever I see somebody hanging out a couple times, I like to talk to them. Let them know they got a friend there and stuff like right, that. Right, right. You know? Uh, so I'm like that. Yeah, man. Some people think because this guy hits. Like, people have always said it's boxing. You know? It's like, and I'm like, no, there's not one belt. Right. There's a lot of belts. Yeah. And a lot of people can make it. Sure. And, like, there was a time when, when I got to L.A. where nobody was making it. Right. Like, the, the, the class above me or two before me, like, 
uh, the 80s comics and the 90s comics, they didn't want to give it up. Right, right. They right. were holding on to his, and they weren't helping anybody. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, the way they got helped by Rodney Dangerfield and Paul Mooney, right. they weren't doing it to anybody they else. The they weren't pulling any of the young comics up right. because there's this kind of fright from that if a young guy comes. It's, they're going to take your play, and I just never thought about that. And to be honest with you, I've treated everybody I, like, dude. I've worked for two reasons. Mm-hmm. I'm like casting directors don't get me, right? So it's been very hard for me to get that part of Hollywood going for. They just don't get me, right? I right. just walk in, they're like, "What are you?" And again, it's like when I walk on stage and I look like an Armenian lesbian. <laughs> nobody knows what's going on. <laughs> Who is this? Same thing with casting directors. So I've worked a lot because I have friends that have popped and made it. Right. And they've been nice enough to come back to me. Now, I'm not nice just so they help me. Right. But it's just like I treat everybody well. Yeah. Some people get upset because in most jobs, you go A to B to C to D. Right. That's not entertainment. Right. You can go A to to. Uh, two right. to uh, the square root of pi. It's all, <laughs> all over the, the place. place. Right, right. There's no rules. Yeah. And some people go A right to Z. Right. And it upsets people because people want their turn. Right, right. And they think that it's a it's a it's a race. It's not. It's a marathon. Right, right. And you just as long as you're creating and you have to create, whether yeah. it's doing a podcast, writing, and I, I tell all the young I always find young people when they just move there, I go, dude. If I, if I could go back in time, I would tell myself, just write. Right. Writers are kings in L.A. They are. You could be yeah. stand-up, you could be an actor, or you can be a writer. Okay? If you're a writer, you can be a stand-up and actor. Yeah. They're kings, dude. That's the way to go. It's right. Every, and now, it just, with all these channels, like in the United States, it's a golden era right. of comedy. Yeah. Because there's so many channels now. For sure. That they, and they try to get away from comedians. And they're all trying to make these YouTube people celebrities. Right. And it's just not working. Right. Because right. that's all editing. Yeah. You know, comics are writers. We're creators. That's why I got this Bellator thing that I'm about to do. Because yeah. they've seen my writing, my podcasting. Do you think that social media, stuff like YouTube and stuff like that, does that cheapen the art at all? Do you think that like comedy, I mean, people have taken a lot of shortcuts yeah. through, you know what I mean? But like uh, You can't take shortcuts. Right. It's just the truth. You're going to get... I've seen some people jump a couple of things, but and it hurts them in the long run. Right. In my personal opinion. I'm sure. not getting into names. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, you got to get a little humble. Right, right. You got to get a little humble. Yeah. You got to... You know, LA's first year in LA usually is all about breaking your spirit right. and humbling you. Yeah. Like, everybody knew that moved from Vegas. Yeah. They would all either, like, they would either... Their car would get stolen, get in a car crash, their car engine would blow up. It was <laughs> some like... horrible rite of passage. Yeah. It breaks you down, and right. then it builds you up. And the thing about L.A. is it never lets you completely crash and burn. Yeah. It, and whether that sometimes that's good or bad, you right, know. Right, But it, you never go down. There's always an opportunity that comes. And the reason wow. everyone goes to L.A. is because you're always one day away from living your dream. Yeah, yeah. Now, social media, yes. It, it's the greatest. I, I'm only here. Because I have a podcast and I have a Twitter account and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm the, I, I consider myself as funny as anybody. Right. But if nobody knows who I am because I've had this weird kind of thing with television where like, I'm finally starting to get back on TV. Right. It took me a little while because you know, I, you know, these kids coming out now, there's so many channels for them to get on. It's right. so easy for them to get. It's actually easier for them to get television than it is to get a quality hour of comedy. Exactly. exactly. It's just, I, I know, you know, again, I'm just happy that all my friends are on TV. You know, uh, so it does cheapen it because you see some people who have like a bazillion followers. You're like, what's going on here? Right, right. You know, you see these Instagram models. Yeah. They yeah, have like yeah. three million followers. I'm starting to realize they're all Adirons. <laughs> I guess there's no integrity in the fucking Instagram model community. And that, hey, if you're an Instagram model and you listen to this, I just want to let you know that no matter how artistic and spiritual your pictures are, I'm still going to beat off to them, okay? And the more inspirational they are, the more I inspire the pal my pud. Stop thinking bikinis in the tree is spiritual. There's a seedy underbelly to Instagram modeling world. Man. Yeah. I lo- I'm cool with the ones who just put it out there. They're like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Respect who to wants that. to hit on my asshole? Like, there's this one girl, her picture is just her ass. And then before you see her little head, you're like, oh, her face is terrible, but that ass makes me believe in God. You know? And oh. I, I, there's the guys who add, it's so interesting because 
MySpace, it was totally cool. Yeah, to yeah, yeah. Add I remember that. People. Yeah, yeah. You had, you'd hire social media guys or who your top your top friends were. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. But yeah. you could add a million followers. Like Dane Cook had like twenty Adirons. That's how he got to a million followers. Right, right. right. And everyone's like, "That's cool." Twitter's like different. Yeah. Like if you find out you have Adirons, people right. are like, "Oh, dude, that's yeah. cheating." That's yeah, that's but death right there. I know right a lot there. of people who do it. They don't give a fuck. Right, right. And in that sense, it's cheap. I won't add adders. Right. I, it's no point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just no point. It, yeah. I just want if you like me, I want you to follow me. And I, you know, it's so weird. It's like I've been doing this social media thing for a while, and I finally now feel like people are catching up to me. Right. You know. Right. Because again, they just didn't get me. They they don't understand. My, they take me too literal, and right. I'm just I'm really just talking mad shit. <laughs> Speaking of mad shit, though, uh, you've done you've had a lot of, lot of opportunities. I mean, obviously, you've been Spike TV and everything, huge success there. Uh, but you've had an opportunity to do some stuff that people haven't had the opportunity to do. One of those things being, uh, you had the honor of performing for the troops, man. Yeah. That's USO one of the tour. coolest things I got to do. What was that like, man? Well, you know, there's always a guilt as a man that you didn't join the military. <laughs> it's always right. It's just that guilt. You're hanging out with badasses. You're, you're like, like oh, oh, yeah. why didn't I go defend the freedom that I abused the fuck out of? <laughs> right? So... I didn't go join the military, so whenever I get asked to do something for the troops, I will do it. And I got asked by Steve Byrne one year to go to Afghanistan, and I love Steve Byrne. He's one of the nicest people ever. And uh, he asked me to go to Afghanistan. He asked me, Doug Davidoff, and Brian Callen to go. Wow. And it was uh, one of the most amazing things in the world. And it's very interesting because I'm still very good friends with a couple guys I met over there. I'm in their fantasy football league. Right. I've been in it for like five years, and I finally won it. <laughs> <laughs> Five years later, yeah, I won two. I won two out of the three I was in. Holy I won, shit! I won two of them and then last in the other one. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just you go over there and you realize how uh, you, you know it's like they just you know whether you agree with the mission or not, right? You know, they they didn't decide that, sure, and they joined because. A lot of them joined because, you know, 9-11 was a tragedy and they, they wanted to defend their country. And a lot of them want a better life. And it's like a great way to get into a better life. And, you know, regardless of what you think of the mission or not, it's like you want to support people who sacrificed a lot. And right. the crowds are great. And here's what I've learned about USOs and Armed Forces Entertainment. The worse the environment they're in, the better the crowd. <laughs> The more dangerous. The oh bit. yeah, we did one called the Alamo because they were just surrounded by all these, like all these villages, and it was like you're in the middle of nowhere. This hub in the middle of nowhere. No way. Holy and I'm shit. doing stand up, and everything is just like boom, boom, Whoa. boom. Wow, that is and, crazy. Like, I'm a dirty comic. They're like, can you not keep this place? Like, go for it. And then I, <laughs> I learned that like military guys and like stand ups were like, we just. Bust each other's balls. Right, right. And I just started ripping these guys new assholes. And they were like, yeah! <laughs> they loved it. And there's something in Afghanistan. Have you ever talked to anybody who's done a comedy over there? No, no, never before, man. There's something called Man Love Thursdays. <laughs> in the military. Well, what it is, the local Afghanis. Right. Uh, the men go up in the mountains and basically uh, bang each other in the ass. What? Really? Yeah. And it, the, it's so weird because they don't consider it gay. What it is, dude, is like there's in Afghanistan, women are for reproducing, men are for pleasure. <laughs> That's their whole... And then we're over there trying wow. to help them. No way. And if you're gay, hey, whatever. Everybody's yeah. done some weird shit in their life. You know? I'm not judging <laughs> you. Whatever you want to do with grown-ups and consenting grown-ups, including go to a Motel 6 and beat off while you hang yourself i don't really care i really don't uh do your whole thing but it's just so interesting man that's crazy going over there was just a blessing dude and i was there when shit started going bad yeah 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 there was this one prison break that started to change the war wow and i was there when it happened that was when everybody escaped and they were killing all the guards and the the people dressed as cops and everything yeah i was honored that they let me watch them uh, load the uh the fallen soldiers into, wow. the, uh, into the plane to bring them home. And they've never let civilians do that. And they were like, you're nice enough. Come do it. So, wow, man. That's crazy. I, uh, yeah, it was a blessing. I would do it again. Yeah. My act's a little too crazy, but I'd, I would love to do it. Even if I was just going over there as an opener just to do a couple minutes just to entertain them, I'd do it. I'd yeah. like to do it. There's this big uh, big hubbub because Mitch Fatale had gone over there and he had done some dirty jokes and some asshole who was really high up in the military bitched. 
You tried to talk to Obama about Like, what kind of asshole are you? You want to talk to the president about dick jokes? He's got his own... He doesn't give a shit about dick jokes. He's got his own shit to worry about, man. I want to talk to you about potty humor. It's like, fuck yourself. Miss Fatale's so fucking funny. He's a great guy. And, like, now they complain, so... So we did a bunch of shows. Like, gotta keep playing. Like, nobody's enjoying this. Right, Everybody's right. Everyone's just like, things want to get weird. Now, here's the weird thing. Now, in when you go to do a military tour, uh, especially Afghanistan, you stop in Kazakhstan first, right? And you can drink in Kazakhstan. Okay. Yeah. Now, but when you go to Afghanistan, you can't drink, right. but you could totally bone on the base. <laughs> it's different rules. And I didn't get this until I was there, and this girl's walking me around I'm like. He's, Steve's like, dude, she wants to fight. I'm like, no, it's military. So, the, of course, anyways, so uh, there's a rule, though, on the base that if you bone, you have to tell everybody on your floor that you're boning. No you way. You have to keep a door open because they don't want sexual. So it's like, what's that called? A cock blocker rule? <laughs> Honey, you want to hook up? Let's go tell everybody I'm about to fuck you. <laughs> Oh man, that is uh, that is some great, great stories. That's some good insight for any of you people that are going to go out there and do some comedy for the USO, man. Uh, you've Sam, you've done so much, man, in the comedy world. You've got obviously a huge future ahead of you, legacy wise, though, man. What you you know, obviously left your mark on the comedy world. What do you want to be remembered for? I've always thought about that. What's my legacy? What's your legacy? You know, it's interesting. Uh what do I want to be known for? I just, you know, like I, I have a couple things television-wise I want to do. Mm-hmm. I want to do another. I, I, what I'm going to do is I'm recording my sets in Calgary. Right. And if I like it, I'm going to put it out as another album. Nice. Uh, it's called The Diabolical. Nice. And uh, I'm really excited about because this is all stories from my life. So I like to put out. And then I just, you know, I just... I want to get big enough that I could just give all my money away and I could just fucking help people. That's really because I'm in sobriety, you know, and yeah, and uh, I feel really bad for people who like don't have the money to get out of their own way. So I like to do that. I like to be just known as a good guy who fucking crushed it. And right. uh, I like to give people their money's worth. I just think who wants to hear jokes you've all heard before? I just want to. I just want to rock. And I, I don't. I want you leaving happy or angry, one or the other. Yeah. And uh, that's it, man. I just. I would like to open a treatment center in my hometown because I got a really bad problem with crystal meth right now, and I'd like to be able to help them out. It's really hard in small cities to get sober because there's nothing else to do. Right. Right. It's really hard. Yeah. Everything is based off of drinking every day, all the time. Right. Because right. there's nothing to do. Right. right. You know, and we live to 90 now. You got to find something to do. Exactly. And it's so, so some people like just drink all the time. And now with the, with these drugs coming out, it gets really hard. So I'd like to help, uh, help some people out, especially men. I feel like men, struggle really hard and they and people just kind of be like other oh, guys whatever right. you know right so i'd like to help uh, uh make treatment centers for men that you, you know who want to get out of their own way cuz men take the blunt yeah of like a lot of of uh, society's problems right because you know nobody really coddles them or takes it and i get it women and children i totally understand why we do that cuz they're very vulnerable but i think that men are just kind of just collateral damage in a right. lot of stuff you right. know overlooked a lot yeah. overlooked a lot nobody really helps them because they're men and they should be able to help themselves right. and they strap their boots up and they get, you know and it's just it's really hard to watch yeah so like that's what i'd like to do i just got to get a couple things done and then hopefully i'll be able to put, position myself to uh help some people with that stuff so that's kind of it that's awesome man you can find my guests today on his website samtripoli.com also at punchdrunksports.com and of course on Twitter at Sam Tripoli. Anything else, man, you got coming up? You wanna you wanna plug? This is just I'll tell Yuck Yucks I wanna play Yuck Yucks. That's what I like to do. I'm doing Calgary now. Uh, it, it's the last night was great and I'd love to do, uh, play some more. I'd love to come back to Toronto and do the Yuck Yucks. I, I'd love to do it. So I appreciate Yuck Yucks coming down and asking me to do this and having me out and uh, I love I do. I love Canada, dude. Yeah. Nothing negative to say about Canada, except for 75% hockey on ESPN. That's about it, dude. <laughs> this place is magical. It is. It is. Hey, man, thanks for doing this, brother. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it's a great it, podcast. Man. Thank you. Thank you.
right, there you have it, folks, this Sam Tripoli interview. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Remember to check us out on the World Wide Web at yuckyucks.com. Give us a little visit. Stop and say hi. Tweet us. Hashtag YYCP. On behalf of myself, Jake Hirsch, Fatima, Kira, Mr. Mark Breslin, and the entire crew at Yuck Yucks and all the people that make this show possible, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next week. Oh, I love these so-called OGs claiming they fat. If that's fat, I must be obese. Hey, yo, please want to hear my sentiment? You rap like you got a fucking speech impediment. I'm sweet like cinnamon, never given a minimal. Who gave your rap vitamins and minerals? It might have been me with the MIC. Solve any problems. Problem I see, not black like a MIB, but still rap like a NIG and way smooth like them IB. Ripping West Mount, big up to NDG. Rip this shit off the web like MP3. It's like that. I'm coming with this new type rap. I'm coming with this new type rap. I'm coming with this new type rap. So recognize when you hear me coming through like that. It's like that. I'm coming with this new type rap. Like a spinal cord, bringing you lyrics and rhymes galore. Your style's outdone and old like a dinosaur. But let's compare me, I crush MCs with these. Flow thick and juicy like a quarter pounder with cheese. But you, I heard your rap, I was took back. Style so thin, it makes Paris Hilton look fat. So whack, it makes President Bush look black. Oh, snap. Hip hop, my destiny. If you're trying to say my name, watch how you addressing me. You can find my recipe in the book of the rhyme cook to any criminal. I know the crook of the crime look rugged and laid back. Suck it up. You ain't fooling me. You as fake as a rubber duck. Lyrical uppercut. And my dismissal, a verbal missile. Hit your point blank with my poetry pistol like that. I'm coming with this new type rap. Coming with this new type rap, I'm coming with this new type rap. So recognize when you hear me coming through like that, like that. I'm coming with this new type rap. I'm coming with this new type rap, I'm coming with this new type rap. So recognize when you hear me coming through like that, like that.